Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Ron Turner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. I want to consider this morning a particular word or phrase in the portion of text that we're going to consider or read in just a moment. And um, it's associated with obviously the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it relates both to, obviously, well, fundamentally, to the church and the fact that Jesus is coming back and that everything's going to be all right. Amen? And so there's a particular word or phrase that I want us to identify. And so I'm going to read the text and I'll let you try and pick up on it. And, um, And in light of... Uh, the fact that Jesus is coming back. So there's a particular word or phrase, both incorporates both really. But we're going to read first up from chapter 4, and we'll look at verse number 13 right through to verse 11 of chapter 5. We'll read it through there. Now, the Bible says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those that have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other. And edify one another just as you also are doing. Now, there could be a few things in here, but if there was something that 
a particular word or phrase in there that I was seeking to identify, what would it be? I'll give you a guess. Anyone want to have a guess? No? Probably not. It's a big portion of scripture. It's like, come on, Pastor Gary. Which one? But um, there's uses it twice, actually, Paul. And uh, it's uh, found in verse 18 of chapter 4 and in verse 11 of chapter 5. And it's the words comfort. Comfort one another. Comfort one another is the title of the message this morning. And it's the phrase that we want to consider in the context of the world in which we live. And obviously there's the second coming and the return of Jesus Christ. And so this is not an exposition of this portion of text as such. Uh, there's, uh, too, we just read too much there. But, uh, but it, it is to make and emphasise the point that Paul is in relation to God's uh, and Christ's second coming, that in light of the view of, of God's prophetic plan and purposes, the, in all this as it applies to us, it must be interpreted in this way, comfort. The Lord's second coming is to be a comfort to the believer. And in, do, in, in so doing, we are to comfort one another with this truth, with this reality, that Jesus Christ is coming back and we shall forever be with the Lord. Amen. See, God's word is sure. God's word is steadfast. God's word is true. And you can bet your bottom dollar, amen, that if God says it, it's going to come to pass. We're not talking about the possibilities. We're talking about realities. We are talking about facts. We are talking about the prophetic plan and purpose of God as revealed and declared in the Bible and that which is spoken, you can bet it to, you know, well, not that we bet, but you can understand the point that I'm making, that you can uh, be rest assured 100% that it is true and that it is going to come to pass, that Jesus Christ is coming back, praise the Lord. Now, the world is not our friend, as Colm was making that point. Not just in relation to Israel as a nation, it finds its expression in there in terms of anti-Semitism, but also the spiritual seed as well and that which relates to the church. And so you know, the world hates two groups of people and that is Israel and the church. And so uh, the, the world is hostile, that's the, fa that's the fact, that's the reality. And Christians across the world uh, are suffering because of the name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus again told us that there would be tribulation. He said that in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Paul the Apostle said that through much tribulation we would enter the kingdom of God. When you read the birth of the church in the book of Acts, what's one of the first things that begin to manifest itself? Persecution, tribulation. And so the, there's always, uh, always hostility from the world towards Christians uh, and, uh, and in one form or another and in some degrees we look around us in the West, it's just, you know, that we get a bit of tension and hostilities in the manner in which we live. But when you look at other places in the world, Christians are brethren and you read about the common things of, of the modern era, people are, are, are dying for their faith. People are suffering immensely. 
But it always has been the case. Tribulation uh, from the day of Christ, even prior to Christ and even beyond, uh, in, in the last 2,000 years, this has been a reality. <coughs> and so, excuse me, <coughs> when Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, even this church itself, it was, uh, it was born and it was immense, suffering immense persecution in its infancy, right from the moment it was formed. And so there was a, a direct assault against them. So tribulation is not a foreign thing to the church. And so Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians, both of them, uh, have a major theme and, and they deal with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, uh, the, the world in which we live is in, uh, living in a state of anxiety. We look at, you know, the stuff that's going on that's centred around COVID and the panic and the fear. And I mean literally panic and fear. When you look at uh, the, the so-called issues of climate change, you know, I was listening to an interview yesterday. I mean, people are literally gone mad. I mean, you know, literally they say now that there's going to be no food. By the time our generation of kids are adults, there's not going to be food and water. But you know what? It, it's, it's, it's so, it's death and despair. But if we act now, we can change it. Oh, great. Yeah, it's all in destiny of the earth is in your hands. <laughs> like, it's insane what's going on. But, but our, they're, they're feeding this lie into our children and they're all being spooked to think that the world's going to end. And well, it is in a certain sense if we understood it scripturally, but what they're telling them, one, it's a lie, two, there's a hidden agendas behind it all. But again, but the point is, is that they live in fear. They live in anxiety. They live in a state of fear. And you look at Greta Thunberg, you know, and you look at her face and it's just fear written all over it. Fear. And so, but the Christian... And this is what Paul's talking about. For the Christian and concerning God's prophetic plan, we, we are to have comfort. The polar opposite to the world is that in a state of anxiety, we are in a state of peace. Perfect peace, comforted by God, comforting one another. And so... It's in this context that Paul writes to the church and he says in verse 13 of our text, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning... Now, this is ignorant concerning those that have died in Christ. That's the context that Paul's writing in because they're thinking, well, if people have died, and uh, what hope is there in terms of um, God's plan? And Paul makes it clear that if you've died in Christ... Then the time, uh, in, as part of the resurrection and God's prophetic plan, don't be ignorant of this fact. The dead in Christ, they shall rise first. And those that are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall be caught up, raptured, to, to be always with the Lord forever. Oh, praise God. What a, what a glorious truth that, that is being declared. And so, and, and so we are to take comfort in this reality. Paul says, always to be with the Lord. Always. Therefore, in verse 18, in light of that great truth, we call the rapture. The comfort, the Bible says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. 
Now it's interesting because Paul continues to write and he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, he says, uh, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly. And so he begins now to make emphasis of what we call the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now the second coming where the, the Lord comes for his church is a, is, a, is a separate event to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction and so forth as Paul begins to outline here for us. But you see, in light of all that's coming, the Bible says that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And again, we make the point that the, uh, that is in relation, the thief in the night is in relation to what? The church, not the, sorry, the church, not the church, the world. Okay, for us, we take comfort in the fact because um, he's, when he does come, but he's coming as a thief in the night because uh, when, he, when he returns to bring his judgment upon the world, they, the Bible says, then when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Like a thief in the night. You know, everyone's thinking, finally, there's peace. Oh, we can rest. And then, bang. I kind of know that feeling, you know, when I was asleep in my bed and that guy uh, ran my vehicle one in the morning. I tell you, the noise was so immense, I got up, I did not know where I was, what was going on. And I was in a state of, like, shock. And, um, you know, because you're, you're half asleep. And so this is it, the thief in the night. When Jesus, when, when, when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to come suddenly upon the world. And then you're going to know what's hit them. And so the, the day of the Lord in Scripture is associated with God's wrath, okay? It's associated with God's wrath that is going to be poured out upon the earth where his judgment will come. And uh, we, we understand this day of wrath, the wrath of God being poured out. Uh, we understand it as it's referred to the great tribulation. Okay, now this is not tribulation as such because we've, the church, as I said earlier, the church has always suffered tribulation. And the tribulation can come at any moment. And don't think for a moment it can't come here in Australia. Things can change rapidly and the circumstances. And you can see now the seed for things is already there in terms of uh, uh, you know, ostracizing and, and identifying and rejecting and all the rest of it. But what my point is, is that here the great tribulation referred to in the Bible is a time in which God's wrath is poured out upon the earth. And so the Bible says that we are not of those who sleep. We are sons of the light. And so uh, it's, it's got the, the, the thief in the night will overtake the world, but not the Christian one, because we are in Christ. Two, we, will have, we won't be here. And three, amen, uh, we have to take comfort in this reality, is what Paul is trying to make. And so the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night to the world, and they shall not. Now listen to what Paul says. He says, in the, um, where is it? In verse 3, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. They shall not escape. Now I want to bring your attention to this word escape for a moment. Because they, the world, shall not escape. But we, the church, 
will escape. And this is important to make note because there, is, there are those who say that uh, if you hold to a pre-tribulational rapture, or even uh, if you wanted to call it even an intratube, but the point is, is if you hold to the fact that, um, uh, that you're going to escape, escape that which is to come, then they, they call us escapists. And they say it in a derogative and a critical manner to suggest you know, that we have this mentality that we're just going to escape everything and everything's going to be all right. And so they use this phrase, escapists. And uh, like I said, it's used in a manner that's not favourable in terms of our, our position and understanding of the coming of the Lord and escaping the wrath of God. But you see, the world shall not escape. Paul makes it clear. But we, the church, we will escape. And so I actually have thought about this uh, deeply at times. And you know what? I'm glad that I'm an escapist. Because that's exactly what the Word of God teaches us. That uh, we will escape that which is to come. This is the text. That this is what is, 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 um, is taught to us in the Scriptures. See, the Christian wants to escape the great tribulation. Can you say amen? The Christian wants to escape the wrath of God. There's nothing wrong with that sentiment. There's nothing wrong with that uh, desire. In actual fact, it's God's plan. That's why it's such a joy. That's why it's something that we put faith and trust and hope in. I want to be out of this world. Amen? When this time comes, the great tribulation, the time of his wrath comes, I don't want to be here for it. And the Bible tells me that I won't be here for it. And so let's just, let me illustrate this by a few scriptures, just to make the point of this escapist, or what we call the, I'll call it the doctrine of escapism. <laughs> now, when John the Baptist came on the scene to, in preparation for the Messiah to prepare the nation of Israel for the, the Lord's coming, what was his words? Flee from the wrath to come. Run. Escape. <laughs> you know, inside, look, you know, if you feel like it, casually just says the exit or whatever, you know, come if you feel, whenever you're ready. No, he said, run. Flee now from the wrath to come. And obviously, he's talking about the Messiah who's about to present himself to, to run to Jesus, believe on the Lord and you shall be saved, so forth. And it has some other context to it as well, but fundamentally, that's what it, it teaches us. And so the whole idea of running away from danger, escaping danger, is not unbiblical. It's nothing wrong with that. In actual fact, this is exactly, again, we see in the Scriptures. Remember, we have the, uh, the Old Testament teaching that relates to the cities of refuge, right? And so if you, these, these cities of refuge, we've gone through this before, but they are types, as a type of Christ and their location and all that they represent point to Christ. Christ is a city of refuge. We flee to him for salvation and refuge and safety. And so, again, you know the story, if anyone in Israel 
killed someone or was guilty of manslaughter in which they didn't intend to kill, but they had, they had killed, then they could flee and run to the city of refuge. And once they made it to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood was not allowed to uh, enter, and they would, so they would run there. They would uh, have to abide there till the death of the high priest uh, and so forth, and there they would find refuge. But again, all that points to the fact that we too, amen, we are guilty of the blood of Christ. Whether, whether it was in ignorance or not, we are all guilty because uh, uh, we're all sinners and we all nailed Christ to the cross. And so therefore, we can run and the avenger of blood is after us. If we don't run to the city of refuge, we too will find ourselves in judgment and hell and separated from God for eternity. But if we run to Christ, hallelujah, then we will be saved. We will be safe. We can escape is the emphasis here. You can escape the judgment. You can escape God's wrath. You can escape hell. And isn't this what the author of Hebrews is teaching us when he writes in Hebrews 6 verse 17 and he says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That is Christ, fled for refuge. We, we ran to Christ. We are escaping. We are fleeing the wrath to come. Nothing wrong. We're all, so, so I'm making the point we are escapists, Right? Let's look further. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. Again, this is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you look closely at, we know that this is a type as, again of God's wrath being poured out upon a wicked uh, city. And judgments coming upon their sin, again, typifies the fact that, uh, you know, the angel of the Lord comes and to Lot and his family and he tells them to get out of the city because God's judgment's going to come. And so we know that Jesus, in speaking about the second coming uh, and the last days, he said, remember Lot's wife. And so again, this is a type. We look at these things and we learn lessons about that which is happening and that which is to come. Now I want to read from verse 12 and follow through with me to verse 22. But again, let's pick up this doctrine of escapism, okay? Let's read verse 12. Then the man said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand and the hands of the two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. 
Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favour in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to. It is little one. Please let me escape there and uh, my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have uh, have favoured you concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore the name of that city is called Zor. Escape there, because I can't do anything until you arrive. Oh, there's a wonderful truth there, amen. You see... Because God removes the righteous before he pours out his wrath. And this, so the, the, when we talk about escaping, here again we see escape for your life and escape to this city. And so Lot escapes and once he arrives and he has escaped, then nothing can be done until you arrive. Amen. And this is the same thing in terms of the church until, and in relation to God's wrath. God's wrath can't be poured out in that sense until we arrive. Amen. And so uh, this is the whole come, uh, where Christ is going to come back for his bride. And so you can see the theme that is clear. And this is what Paul the Apostle is picking up on when he writes. Uh, and he says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 in our text, he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Uh, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath. We're saved from the wrath to come. Go to verse 10 of chapter 1. He makes the point again in his epistle. He says about Christ and he says, we are to wait for his son from heaven. This again talks about his second coming. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus will deliver the church, his people, from the wrath to come. And so when we use the phrase, an escapist, that is exactly what we are this morning. I, I, I mean, it's not a selfish thing to just want to escape. This is the promise of God. We're, be, we're not just escapists on the basis of somehow it's about me. No, no, no. This is about his purpose. This is about God. And this is his promise to us as his people. And we are comforting ourselves in that reality of what he has promised and, and, and spoken. And so it's not a presumptuous thing that we, we're, 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 we're doing. Uh, we, we are just simply putting faith and trust in that which has been written and that which has been declared in the word, by the word of the Lord. And so... It is, as I said, it's for that exact reason that we are not appointed the wrath, that Paul says it twice, and in, the, and in relation to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Comfort one another. Because in Christ, it's all going to be fine. Praise the Lord. And I want to just draw our attention to this word comfort this morning that we find in the text because having Paul using it a couple of times, there is a, a, um, a glorious truth that we should not be ignorant of 
And Paul draws our attention to it. And in actual fact, if you go to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, he says in verse 16, <coughs> again, having spoke again, and just to bring a certainty about the Lord's coming and God's judgment and the Antichrist and things that are taking place in chapter 2. Again, he reassures them in verse 16. He says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us with and given us an everlasting consolation, an everlasting comfort and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You see, Paul uses this phrase, everlasting consolation or everlasting comfort. And he says that God would comfort your hearts. And so this is, again, Paul now not, not just drawing on the fact that we are to comfort one another, but the fact that God comforts us. And he comforts us with what is referred to as an everlasting consolation. An everlasting comfort, amen, because the promises of God in him are yes and amen. That's why it's an everlasting consolation. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, the Bible says that we having fled for refuge, uh, I read that to you before, listen to what it says again as I make the point. He says uh, that we have strong consolation because we have fled for refuge to lay a hold of the hope set before us. He uses the phrase strong consolation. So it's everlasting and it's strong. That word strong, it's, 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 it's forcible. It's making the point. The comfort that we're talking about is not some feeble comfort. Oh, it's going to be all right. When you know it's not going to be all right. You know, have you ever had in the world people, things happen and sometimes people say it's going to be all right. But, you know, it's not really going to be all right. They're just saying it because they just want to, you know, calm them down and give them assurance. But we have strong consolation and Paul is using the phrases everlasting and strong in the context, amen, that the word comfort would be understood in its full and its strongest terms, in its fullest expression. We're not talking about a faint or weak comfort. We are talking about a strength and something that is forcible and strong and it's everlasting. And we are comforted by God himself. Praise the Lord. When I think of that, what does it bring to mind? You can't help but reflect and think about Christ in John's gospel because Jesus said to his disciples... It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, like you think, how? I mean, there's nothing more better than being with Christ. How can, there be, how can it be advantageous that you would depart from us? And he says, because I'm going to send to you another. And he, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send to you the comforter or the helper. But it's the same word comforter in the Greek that's being used Parakleos, we'll get to that in a minute, but that's what is Jesus is saying. And it's found in John's Gospel, we know, chapter 14, verse 16. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Well, the word is comforter. I'll give you another comforter, 
that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You see, we have, amen, we say, oh, if only Jesus was here physically, it would just be so much better. But, you know, we have Jesus with us, not physically, but spiritually. The, Jesus says he, the Holy Spirit is, lives in you and in me, and he is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And when you begin to see that and understand that and relate to that in a real way, it really does bring about a profound change to your, our, our, our Christian life and, our, and the fact that we are in relationship with God. You see, the word uh, parakaleo or parakleo, whatever pronounce it in the Greek, um, it comes from two Greek words, two compound words, para and kleo. And para means to be alongside, and the word kleo means to, uh, 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 means to, um, to speak, to counsel, to comfort, to be near. And so or, or it actually means to call, to invite, to speak. That's right. And so in actual fact, so what we're, what we're getting, the, the idea is when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, it is he, the Holy Spirit is one who is alongside us. He is in us, living in us, and he is with us until the end of the age. And also he, he speaks to us. He comforts us. He counsels us at every step of the way. Amen. He is our comforter and he is there always. I will not leave you as orphans. You, there's no reason for the Christian to feel alone. Maybe in an outward sense we have those, uh, uh, those experiences, but we can always draw upon the reality of Christ, the reality of the Comforter who is with us, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Think about that. Who, listen, verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And this is exactly what Paul, again, Israel, in our text, is talking about when he says comfort one another. Because we, having experienced the comfort of God ourselves, we can then extend that same comfort to others. And this is the body that is operating in a manner. Well, that's why Paul says, comfort one another with these words. Not only is there the reality of the comforter, the Holy Spirit and Christ, but also as a, as a people of God, as the church and as a, um, a, a body of believers, the scripture says that we are to comfort one another with the same comfort in which we are comforted by God. Comfort one another with these words. And this is an important aspect of the church. This is an important function of the body. And so we, it's, rather, it's not just individualism and isolationism and all of those things. How can you comfort one another? Amen. You have to be in contact. You have to be in association. You have to be in fellowship in order to fulfill this particular uh, text and scripture and this exhortation. If we are to comfort one another, you have to be in constant contact and association with each other. And so... You know, oh, it's just me and God. Well, that's, that, that, that's great, but, you know, there's something far greater than you and God. 
It's God and his people, God and his church. Comfort one another. So we have a direct uh, uh, um, instruction to comfort one another in the scriptures. And Paul says in our text that we are to comfort one another with these words. With what words? With the words of truth, the words of promise. You know, especially when you, you young Christians, they're not sometimes, you know, well-versed in all the scriptures. But we can uh, encourage them. We can uh, exhort them. We can help them and teach them and share the word of God with them. And they too can experience the same comfort that we're experiencing and grow and mature into Christ, into that comfort. That's how it works. That's the practical outflow of this in accordance with what we're talking about. And it happened, and it takes place in, by two aspects. One, the word of God, because that's the basis. And two, by the love of God, by being kindly affectionate to one another. And in that, amen, we foster and build up one another. In Psalm 119, verse 50, the psalmist writes and says, This is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. That's where the comfort, your, your, your word has brought comfort. In Psalm 94, verse 19, the psalmist says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Your comforts delight my soul. You can have anxiety, you, you can have sorrow, you can have all of these things, but you can bring them to the Lord. And the comfort of God can be a, a, is to be a reality in our lives. And that comfort is to delight our soul. We are to draw joy and sustenance and life from the very word and presence of God in our lives. It doesn't matter how bad it is. And it can be bad. But God is always greater. Amen. You see, another point that I just want to make, it's one thing that God is the God of comfort, but you know, for the Christian, we have to take comfort in God. You see, just because comfort is there and it's readily accessible, it doesn't mean that it's automatically appropriated. Okay? You have to take comfort. So I can preach this message this morning. But unless we take comfort in this, because you can, some people can be anxious and fearful and you try and comfort it and they just refuse to be comforted, right? You've met people like that? Just in general in life. Well, that's what the Christian can be like too. You have to take comfort. This is where we talk about faith. That's what faith is. Trust. Trust God. It's going to be okay. God is good. God's in control. And so we have to take comfort in that. And it's when we take comfort that we experience the comfort. That's why, you know, we just spoke about the comforter and, uh, and the direct connection and the fact that he is alongside us. But the Bible says in James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't it interesting? And so there is an action that is related to how, how we're going to respond. What are you going to do? Are you going to take comfort in these words? Comfort one another, but you have to take comfort. You have to trust. You have to receive. You have to take those words in and you have to believe. You have to be convinced, persuaded in your mind. And that is faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so take comfort this morning in these glorious truths. Everything's going to be all right. Jesus is coming back. We're always going to be with the Lord. We're not going to experience the wrath of God. We're going to escape that which is coming because we have fled for refuge. And so Paul's words are clear this morning. Comfort one another with these words. In the book of the Revelation, what's one of the the second last scripture? What does it say? Even so, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because our faith and our hope is in the coming of our Lord. He's coming back. And I want to draw one one last thought before I conclude. In our text in chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, comfort each other. And he uses another word, edify one another. Comfort one another and edify one another. And this, I just want to make an emphasis quickly on this word edify, because the word edify, it means, it literally means to be a a house builder. A house builder. In other words, it comes from a root word which means to, the, to, the, uh, to build a, or compile a structure. And so when we are talking about it to edify, we are building each other up in the faith. We are, we, we are a builder. You see, it's no use going around a church and trying to tear things down. Oh, well, look at this, look at that. And just, you know, people just, it's so easy to tear things down. It's so easy to rip things to shreds. It's so easy just to tear down. But you see, we don't want to be tear downers, amen? We want to be builder uppers. <laughs> and so we want to, you know, so how can we build? How can we add? How can we edify in the circumstance? And so comfort one another and edify is the word one another that Paul uses. And so this is what the church needs. It needs people that will comfort and edify, not just point out the faults, not just criticise all the time. It's easy to do that. But, but we need to edify one another. And so, again, how does the body edify itself? Well, I want to look at one last scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, because we're told exactly how. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And it says, And he himself, God, has put some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're aiming at, amen. That's what we're building towards. That's what we're, we're, we want everyone to be presented in Christ as mature, built up in him.
That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Okay, we all have a part of the body. We all are joint and we're all connected and we all are building up each other. And it says here, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. For the edifying of itself in love. And that's, that is the, the motivation. That's the spirit behind comfort. That's the spirit about being kindly affectionate. That's the spirit behind edification, is that we love one another and we build up one another, we comfort one another because we are living and manifesting the love of God this morning. And so I want us to be encouraged with this word and, and be excited at the fact that, hey, we are escapists. Amen? Oh, yes. Amen. We are. You betcha. And uh, that doesn't mean that we're not prepared for tribulation. Whatever would come, let it, so if the Lord, would, uh, if it was allowed of the Lord, any level of tribulation, you know, just think, thank God in the West, we're not like other parts of the world. If we were in other parts of the world, it would not be as it is here. And we're not ignorant of that. But you know what? If we had to suffer any level of persecution for, the, for his namesake, then so be it. I, wouldn't, I would count it a joy, as John did, to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I wouldn't be wanting to escape it. But when it comes to the wrath of God, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to escape. And God's promise is, you will escape. So be blessed this morning. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. For the word of God, the word of truth. Comfort one another with these words. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be set upon comforting one another, having experienced ourselves the comfort of God and building ourselves up in love, Lord, edifying the body being edified in itself by love, that we would all grow into the fullness of Christ, into maturity in Christ, to a perfect man. And so, God, I just pray you'd bless your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.